0: ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open up to Nehemiah chapter 7 as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the books of the Bible. And we've been uh, kind of on a little bit of a break the last two weeks because of Easter and looking at Palm Sunday and the events of that and the events of the resurrection but we return now back to Nehemiah chapter 7 and 8. I'll give you a quote. James Edwin Orr was a pastor. He was a scholar. I think he wrote like 20 different books, just a, a, a missionary. This guy was uh, just loved God with all his heart. And he one of his areas of exper- expertise, if you want to say, uh, that he really uh, wrote extensively on was on revival and renewal. And he said this, The Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. What is revival? The Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. And that's what we're going to see today as we come to to Nehemiah 7 and 8. You're going, okay, we're taking two chapters? Well, if you look at chapter 7, you're going to see why we're taking two chapters. uh, Because it's a roll call. There's a census. And again, I I don't know if anybody wants to volunteer to read all the way through those names, but you will see that in my sermon, I cleverly kind of just say, look and give your attention to those. I'm not going to attempt those names myself, but what's going on here? Just to remind you, since it's been three weeks since we've been in Nehemiah, uh, God calls Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem. There's uh, uh, several exiles that have come back and they're now into this holy city, the city of David. And they want to kind of reestablish what God had done in Jerusalem before, that they had lost over the last 70 years as they were captives and exiles in Babylon. And so they're coming back together. Just a small remnant of those people are gathering back together. And as they gather back together, one of the things that God put into the heart of Nehemiah was that they were to build the walls around the city. And we said that that was, uh, number one, just smart, because there was a uh, a protection that came with city walls. If you looked at any ancient movie whatsoever, going back to uh, European days, if you go back to biblical days, the walls around the city were its protection. So the bigger the walls, the more protected you were. And yet the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down. I mean, they were in rumbles. And so God lays upon this mighty call for Nehemiah to go back and to assemble together a people of building the walls. And we find that all that was accomplished, even though there was distractions, there was all kinds of interruptions, there was all kinds of things that would take them away. And yet they do that in a record 52 days. Just an amazing thing that God did. And now with all the wall completed, Nehemiah appoints godly leadership for the people because now they can be a people again. Look at verse 2. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 2. I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. In other words, we find that Nehemiah is not this uh, on this kind of endeavor for self-promotion. He didn't kind of get all this together so that he could make a name for himself. No, the minute that they get the wall together, he says, we need leadership. In the form of governor. And he said, okay, so I'm going to get... And you can say, okay, but he picked his brother. No, his brother was a godly man. Didn't pick him because he was brother, because he loved God. And he wanted to serve God. And so he puts these people in charge. And uh, now they're, they're coming back. And God reveals to him to take a census, or to at least compare it. If you've ever read the book of Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah are contemporaries. And oftentimes we see them on the same page. And if you go back to Ezra chapter 2, you're going to find this long census that God instructed Ezra to take that was done. Some scholars say that there were, it was done at the same time. Others say that it was done years before. We really don't know. But if you look at them, they kind of compare almost, uh, number by number by family. Sometimes the family's down a little bit. You, Perhaps somebody died between this time and this time. Others, there's this one tribe, and they had like 30 people. They're like these prolific families. They're having a lot of babies. And so between this time and this time, they just really multiply. And so you see these two comparisons. And oftentimes, a census in the Bible is frowned upon because it's looking at the might of man rather than the might of God. But this, I want you to know, God instructed Nehemiah to take a census. Now, look what happens. They begin to count in chapter 7. Again, feel free if you would like to go through all those names and add all this up yourself. I'll I'll give you a break uh, because he totals it down there. And he says that the total is 42,360. Now, does that sound, for a nation of people, does that sound like a big nation? No, most scholars would estimate this is maybe as much as 2 to 3% of the former Jewish population. They would have had millions. Well, we don't know exactly how many they had even when they were in Egypt and they come out of the Exodus. But some estimates go as high as 4 or 5 million, even the Jewish people at that time. But now there's this remnant of people. They've come back from Babylon. They've come and they now are living in Jerusalem or at least around Jerusalem. And uh, we begin to see that this census says that there's 42,360. Now, many times we wonder why God gives a long list of names. Have you ever wondered as you're reading along in the Bible and all of a sudden there's just this whole chapter there, this whole couple of chapters that's nothing but names and all that? God always has purpose. He's not doing that to dull us. He is certainly not doing that in any way to bore us. There's always purpose for that. And here he's shown us this number, I believe, to show that there's just a remnant of people. Now, not only have they risked their lives, this remnant of people, to build the wall, but at the end of chapter 7, we see that they have even contributed their talents and their abilities in order to, to help the ministry there. So for all practical purposes, it seems like this small group of people desire to do God's work and will their lives to him and for his purposes. They're committed to the cause. Now we go into chapter 8. See how I cleverly went past all those long list of names. It's important. I'm not, we're not minimizing it. We're just saying the purpose of that is to show not so much how many they had, but probably how many they didn't have maybe 2 or 3% of the former glory of the rise of population. So look what happens. Chapter 8 begins to show us that this was not just a city revitalization project. Have you ever watched some of those home improvement shows that um, they just pick an area and they start doing that whole community? I think there's even a show now where they go and they've picked about six different cities. And they're going to go, we're not just going to do one house. We're going to do like a whole bunch of houses. We're going to revitalize this area of Detroit or this area of Chicago or whatever it might be. Well, folks, that's not what's happening here. Nehemiah didn't get them to sign up so they could say, hey, let's kind of rebuild the city. You know, we'll provide some, you know, low-income housing. We'll provide some, you know, this area. And and everybody come back together and we'll revitalize this place that has been torn down and abandoned. That's not... What is happening here? There's a second thing that's not happening, I believe, and they're not just returning to their roots. Have you ever known somebody that they grew up in a place and then they traveled around in their life and their vocation and their job and then as they retired they said, you know, I want to go back home. Have you ever known something like that? There's some of you said, you know, I, I would like to do that. Others go, I'm never going back home. I, I know that there's different feelings on that. But that's not what this is. This isn't just a nostalgic kind of remembrance. Well, I want to show my sons where I grew up. It may have some of that effect, but it's not the purpose. What is the foundation of this work? Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. But what did the people want to do? If you look there, they want to read God's word. They want to hear God's word. Their identity was not um, that they had with their neighbors or their friends. They want to be called God's people. And it's not because they were lived close to one another. It's because they had this common foundation in their life of disbelief in this God. He said, this is really what makes us a people. Folks, one of the things that we have as one of the five high values of our church is that we really do want people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Not just the color of skins, not just kind of this nation or that nation or whatever. Yes, it includes all that. But really what we're looking for is even different cultures. That the gospel of Jesus Christ brings even political people, one over here with this party and one over here with this party, that in Christ, we have so much in common that this becomes almost a non-factor. You're talking about a miracle of God in this present age where we have allowed our politics to define us and then kind of secondly, we have these religious beliefs or these spiritual beliefs. Oh my goodness, the gospel, folks, was to turn all that upside down. So that whether you were this or that, if you came from this section of the country, if you came from that nation, or for this people in this background, that in Christ we would be one people. Is that too far-fetched for God to do that in 2022? Do we think that we're too far down the river to be able to go back? Don't ever minimize the power of the gospel. We just saw a saying about the glory of the Lord. That was That's part of what the glory of God would look like is that people that really are quite diverse wouldn't really agree on this, this, and this, but they can agree on one thing, and it's the very foundation of their lives. That Jesus is king, and this is what identifies us. And so no longer am I a Democrat or a Republican, Northerner, a Southerner, this, or that. I am a Christian because my belief, that's the foundation of all that I am. Folks, don't let go of that miracle. It was a New Testament miracle. We see that throughout the book of Acts. We see God doing that as he would save thousands and thousands. And believe me, they were coming from diverse backgrounds. And yet there was no longer Jew or Greek. And so that's what's happening here. It says they came as one man. They gathered as one man, one mind. To do what? To read the word. They were thirsty for it. Now watch what happens, verse 2 and 3. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, all who could, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from facing the square before the water gate and from early morning till midday. Let me give you a little bit of the Hebrew there, okay? Not that it's important, but just so that you can kind of know times. From the time the sun came up to midday, 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock. Yeah. And you think I'm preaching long sometimes. (laughs) And y'all start rustling like at 55 minutes, kind of like, you know, supper's waiting. Six o'clock in the morning to 12 o'clock. And the amazing thing is they asked for it. They're the ones that say, we want to hear the word of God. Now, certainly the leadership, and it's certainly Ezra being used of God. Nehemiah, they would have been all about that. But they're thirsty for the word of God. Now, why are they thirsty for the word of God? Well, think about it. They've been exiled for 70 plus years. They're coming back and they know that their identity isn't just that I'm a Jewish person. And I came from Jerusalem and I have a heritage there. No, their identity is that they are a people of God. And what brings them together as a people of God? The word of God. It's one of those things that begin to share those visions, those thoughts, those beliefs. And so they're thirsty for this. This it says all the people were attentive to the book of law. That's the miracle that it went on for six hours and that they were attentive to the law for six hours. They had a mind that can concentrate and kind of believe this. I, again, I don't know which one is the biggest miracle, that they built the wall in 52 days, quite miraculous, or that they are there for six hours and attentive the whole time. And some would say that they stood the whole time. Have you ever been in a church before where uh, they were reading scripture and everybody would stand? It's a wonderful practice. It's really good. It's, it's honoring. And some of that comes from rooted here in Nehemiah chapter eight, because it said that when he began to read the word of God, the people stood. We don't know that they sat back down. So that's pretty miraculous, that not only you would be there in a six-hour service, that you'd be attentive the whole time, but possibly even stood the whole time. What happens? Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people. They'd built kind of a platform, and kind of what we would call a pulpit, and he began to to preach from that or to, to read the book. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Now listen to the reaction of the people as he begins to read the word of God. He's not preaching. He didn't read a verse or a couple words and say, okay, here's what I think about this. Here's the Hebrew. They were Hebrews, so it wouldn't have been a big deal. No, he reads the word of God. And yet they are so hungry for the word of God. And the word of God is so powerful in their lives. Look what happens, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Not just one Amen. Amen, Amen. What, What does Amen mean? You know, it can mean a lot of different things. It means agreement. So be it. Literally, it means so be it. Truth. Hey, they're hearing the word of God. And what are they saying? Truth! 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 As Israel blessed the Lord, the great God and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the God with their faces to the ground. Do you see what happens? They begin to, to, they begin to hear the word of God and, and then all of a sudden worship begins to happen. And they humble themselves before God. They, they bow their heads. Four things that we can kind of see there. I want you to kind of notice what happens. In this affirmation of truth, the truth of God, number one, they affirm it as truth. That's the first thing. They hear the word of God and they affirm it as truth. Number two, they bow in worship of God. Then we would see in verses 7 and 8, if we look before, they were helped to understand it. There were some people, there was 13 up there that, uh, if you go back and look, that were kind of helping Ezra. And we don't know if it's those 13 or others, but all of a sudden other people said, hey, do you understand this? No, I'm kind of struggling with this one. What did he mean by this? And so maybe it was a historical part. Maybe it was an action part. Maybe it was a word that they got stuck with. You know, what does this whole justification, what does this sanctification, what does this mean? And so they were helping that. So they affirm it as truth, amen, amen. They bow in worship. They begin to understand it, verses seven and eight, and then in verse nine, look what happened. They wept. They wept. What was the quote that we looked at before about spiritual revival, spiritual renewal in our lives, the spirit of God working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God? Dear family. There is no replacement in your life for the Word of God. Read a Billy Graham book, read this, read that. Good books, they're helpful, they're instructional. They can be encouraging, they can be inspirational. Nothing, nothing, folks, replaces the power of the Word of God. And when that is absent from our lives, we will feel the power of God. We're still going to be just as saved, okay? Our salvation wasn't dependent upon, okay, you've got to have 15-minute quiet time every day. My goodness, we would have lost our salvation 15,000 times by now. No, our salvation is only on the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ, and our trust in that finished work. And yet, God wants us to have power, resurrection power. Greek word dynamos. which where we get our word dynamite, explosive power. That's how he wants us to live our lives. And do we get that just by kind of just going through life? Now, one of the great aids is that we're in the Word of God. This is one of the reasons why one of our that the things that we value highly is expository preaching. And I realize expository preaching is not for everybody. I, I know that sometimes that you say, you know what, I really needed this morning was just five ways to be a better mother or a better father. I realize the practical nature of topical preaching. I really do. That sometimes we can get in this little prescription four or five things that we can run and go do. But without the power of God, without the word of God, without the truth of God, guys, those can be kind of just good moral things to do. They can be just human wisdom. And James says, don't confuse human wisdom with godly wisdom. When you read the Word of God, what are you getting? You're getting godly wisdom. And the great thing is because of the work of Christ. The priesthood of the believer, you don't need somebody to interpret for you. Yeah, there's people that went to school that you can say, Okay, what about this? Have you thought about this? And, and you can have conversations with pastors, with people who have been walking with Christ for a long, long time. That's always helpful. But because the priesthood the believer, because God has filled you with His Spirit, if you've placed your trust in Him, you can read the Word of God and receive all that instruction. I know my wife gets frustrated sometimes. She'll, she'll be looking at a passage and she's really good at Bible study and she'll look through, but she'll get frustrated with it. And, and she goes, hey, what does this mean? And, and then she gets frustrated because I'll say, well, it means this, this, and this. She goes, And she gets frustrated at me. I'm going, don't get frustrated at me, okay? (laughs) But I love when she studies the Word of God, whether it comes immediately, whether she's working her way through it, whether she has to ask questions. That's okay to ask questions. But there's power in this Word. And get this, guys, nothing, nothing will replace the power of God in your life that the Word of God is supposed to... Yes, we are filled with the Spirit. I'm not diminishing the power of the Spirit. What I'm saying is God wants us to be people of the Word. Because when I'm in the Word, my mind gets transformed. My heart gets transformed. Have you ever been mad at somebody and then you have your devotion or you have a read and it says, forgive as you've been forgiven and you're going, great. Really God? Why didn't you give me the passage, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know, that's what I want. I really want this hell and fire and brimstones to fall down upon. And yet he gives us this example of how he's forgiven us and how that's the model of forgiveness that we're to demonstrate to the people around us. The word of God with the spirit of God among the people of God. That's where revival and renewal comes from. And that's what we see happening here. They're not just saying, hey, let's fix up the city. This is a great revitalization kind of project. Man, our home values are going to be worth tons if we get this thing together. No. They go, to be a people, we need more than just a wall. As practical as that is. We need more than just homes. As practical and needful as that is. We need to be a people. There is no replacement. Books are helpful. Music can be inspirational. Discussions can be maturing. But there's nothing that will replace the value of God's word in your life for growth and revival. Again, that's why we're all about expository preaching. Now, you might read there, okay, they were weeping. Why are they weeping? The answer is God's word brought a correction and a a conviction and a correction to their hearts. Uh, Two things that the Bible does. Paul says this in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16, many of you have memorized that over the years. All Scripture is, breathed, is is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Four things. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training for righteousness. Notice those middle two, reproof and correction. Is that the fun part of the Word of God? It's really not. You know, I don't know any people, a lot of people that just say, hey, when I'm having trouble with forgiveness, I really just want to read all about forgiveness. But that's the power of God's word. And and so if we are going to see that it's profitable for teaching, part of that is going to be that reproof and that correction. Why? So that we can be trained for righteousness. It doesn't just leave us in that correction. It trains us for holy living. And while none of us really like to be reproved and corrected, God's end purpose isn't just to spank you and leave you with his word. Look at what 2 Timothy 3.17 says. The very next verse, it's the completed thought. Let me go back and read verse 16 with it because it should not be separated. There's a comma there, if you notice, at the end of 16, and the sentence doesn't end until verse 17. Okay, so let's read it as it was intended. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, mature. That's the word for maturity. That the man of God may be mature, complete, equipped for every good work. What just the word of God does? It changes our mind. It changes our heart. It fashions us more and more into holy living, to a reflection of Jesus Christ in our lives. God's word will lead to some weeping in our lives, guys. But that's not the end point. He doesn't spank us and he doesn't stop us there and say, okay, this is the end point. No, he wants to train us for righteousness. And the end result is two things. Please catch this this morning. The end result of being in God's word, even when it's for proof and correction, is maturity and joy. Look at verse 8, and uh, uh, Nehemiah 8 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Because they were all crying. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They were in this cycle of what the word of God does. Sometimes it corrects us and reproof, And so we weep. Or we're kind of, you know, it breaks us. But it's not meant to live. That. Look at verse 10, the very next verse. And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Have you ever heard that song before? Have you ever heard that phrase before? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you see what God is doing here? In his word, he will confront sin in our life. He will confront those things that are not aligned with biblical thinking, with Christ-like behavior. There's a lot of times that God is going to kind of, if you want to say, spiritually spank us. But it's not, the purpose isn't to spank us and to leave. It's not just to be there. No, it's so that we can have maturity. And with maturity, become uh, it, it uh, begins to, 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 to make joy come into our life. The result is joy. Think through it again. Reading of the Bible, guys, is not to do a checklist for God. I really don't know that God is all that, you know, approving of check, check, check. If our heart never was in it. Now, are there going to be days like that, even with the best of intentions, where all you're doing is checking? Your purpose isn't to check, but you know you read the devotion, and literally 30 seconds later, you could not have said what was in your devotion that morning. That, that's, that's life, guys. That's fallen people in a fallen world, even though we're trying to do spiritual disciplines in our lives. I'm not talking about those days. What I'm talking about, when we truly think that somehow we have gained favor with God... Because we've read some word or we did 15 minutes of a Bible study. Now all the favor of God that we needed is in Christ Jesus, guys. You're not adding to that. Now can we add, uh, can we uh, live blessed lives and lives that are going to be maturing and growing and reflecting Christ? Yes. But you're not going to gain favor with God. Only Christ could do that. And so it's not a checklist to see if you can endure 15 minutes every morning. Now the purpose is so that we would have maturity and with maturity would come joy. Let me ask you this from our, uh, Christmas series. Is joy possible even when your entire world is falling apart? Biblically? Didn't we learn that? So this doesn't have anything to do with all of a sudden God just, you know, I won the lottery. I got the new job. It has nothing to do with all of a sudden God saying, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to solve this. No, it has everything to do with more and more having a heart transformed, a mind transformed by the word of God for the work of God to do the will of God. And he says, in that maturity, you will have joy. Pastor, even when my life is falling apart, even if this happens, even if that happens, yes. And folks, we can go back to New Testament examples of left and right, Paul being one of the primary ones, Peter being another one, that as they were being led to execution, they had joy because they had Christ. That's what the Word of God would do for us. Reading and understanding the Bible brings affirmation of truth. I believe that the Holy Spirit will instruct us. You you give your mind to the Word of God And I think that there's going to be times that God says to you, Amen, Amen, truth, truth. It's going to cause us to have genuine worship. It's going to cause us to have conviction and repentance. But it doesn't end there. It leads to maturity and joy. Cornerstone. Do you know the one thing that is foundational for us to be a people together? And certainly the work of Christ uh, is the center of that. The um, uh, What he did in his spirit brings us to one people. But you know uh, one of the foundational parts that brings us together to be a people? If you go back and look at this little section, the word people mentioned 13 times. Do you think there's an intention of what they're trying to tell us? That this is one of those things that brings us together? It's the word of God. And God has called us to be a people of God's word. And that's why expository preaching, I'm not saying that just because it's one of our five values that we highly value. I'm saying that because this is what the word of God is telling us. These people of 70 years exiles. They come back, they build the wall, they're starting to build homes, they're starting to have babies, they're starting to do all those things, and instead of going, man, life is just great, and we're coming together, and maybe we can be a great nation, they have a hunger and a thirst for the Lord. Six hours, and they were attentive. Maybe even standing the whole time. Wow. So next week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get here at 6 a.m., Some of you already told me about, don't expect me at a sunrise service. <laughs> you know, and I get that, I get that, okay. So we're not going to test that to say, okay, do we have the ability to stand for six hours, hear the word of God? No, because of the very spirit now living within us, guys. We have the opportunity to study together, to be a people together. But as important as this, as we finish this morning, to do this corporately, to have maturity, joy. You have to have this time in your life, guys. Somebody once said, if we feasted and ate as much as we wanted to every Sunday, but we didn't eat for the whole rest of the week, eventually we would starve. And I think there's a good little lesson in there. That if our diet, biblical diet, if God's word is only on Sunday, even if we feast it, and then we didn't eat again until the next Sunday. Eventually, it is going to have a very terrible effect if that was what was happening with physical food. And I think the same thing is happening, what would happen in our lives. So here's my challenge to you this morning. And please do not hear this as, uh, I hate guilt as a motivator. In fact, I, I despise it because it's short-lived and it's not the intention of God. So do not hear this as guilt. But, but I just challenge you. Would you read God's Word as much this week as being on Facebook or some other social media? Would you be in the Word of God this week as much as, uh, your favorite news station, you know? But I gotta catch up with what's going on in the world. Can I ask you something? Guys, I'm not saying that we should be ignorant of the world that's around us, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But what is gonna prepare you more for tomorrow morning? God's Word or the morning news? Come on guys, what do we believe? I mean, I need to know if it's raining so I can take my umbrella. Okay, there's some useful information from news. But what prepares me, this heart, and this mind for life in 2022? The Word of God. The Word of God. So I challenge you, just examine your life. I get it. I get, you know... It, 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 one of the false things that we found out about what we say and what we do was proved through the whole COVID thing when all of a sudden we found that we did have quote-unquote some extra time Man, if i have if i have extra time i would clean out the garage and your garage is still dirty okay <laughs> but one of the things that we said was man i'd be right if i had more time i would be in the word a lot more and now here we are two plus years later guys and and did, it, did we really spend more time in the Word? When We had less travel time, and we had less this, that, and the other, so we had more disposable time. Please, again, I'm not saying that to be a guilt monger. I despise motivating by guilt. It is not Christ-like, and it's not profitable. But it is good to examine our lives in light of the instruction of God. And so please hear this. going forward as we have our vision team and building and all those things that are happening. To be a people of God, we need to be a people of the Word. Because the Word, through the Spirit, is going to bind us together even though we would be maybe very diverse in other things. And to be a people of God We're going to be a people of the Word led by the Spirit of God. And God can do pretty amazing things. Pretty amazing things. Not to bring attention to CS, not to bring attention to this little remnant of people that gather here, but to do a mighty work of God in our lives and in Jackson County and Barrow County and surrounding counties. And that God more and more and more would well, you use a little country church, a little church out in the country, to do what he said the disciples did in the New Testament—that they turned the world upside down? Why? Because they all got a seminary degree? No. All because they did this? That? No. Because they were in the Word of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and they became the people of God. There's our invitation, guys. There's our invitation. That's why this Word truly, truly is so important. This is why we do expository preaching. And this is why you need to have the Word of God in your lives, Monday through Saturday. Don't sweat if you miss a day. Don't uh, get all freaked out. Oh my goodness, this bad thing happened because I didn't have my quiet time. Please don't do that to God. But be a soldier. Be a farmer. Look at all the illustrations that he calls in the New Testament. You be like this and get into the Word of God. And then all of a sudden those phrases hide the Word of God in your heart and, and so that you may not sin against me. And all these other verses that just talk about the fruit of being in truth and what it does in our lives individually, Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, I, I'm amazed when I read this, of these people that, uh, Father, they come back after 70 years of exile. Father, 70 years in a whole entirely godless culture, not hearing the word of God, not hearing, Father, really from you except through maybe an occasional word from the prophets or the leaders that you had risen up. And yet, Father, as they come back together and as they begin to build these walls and as they begin to establish all the things that you're doing in the rebuilding of Jerusalem, Father, that you create in their heart a hunger for your word, truth. So, Father, help us to be people of truth. Help us to see the power of truth. Father, even as we would end today, Father, we said, uh, see that as they read truth, it caused them to worship. And so, Father, we're going to end this morning before your throne affirming truth. Father, we do this in obedience and we do it as an act of worship. That we affirm these things, that you are worthy of all honor and praise and glory. We love you, Father, and we sing this song to you this morning. Speaking truth, amen and amen, Father, to the truth of who you are. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen.